0: Another day another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. you you can't scream and you can't holler you hi folks this is Jack Speko with another edition of the survival podcast it's always one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't dictate, it is almost always the case from my personal mobile studio on my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. So if you're thinking, because you're a new listener, sometimes it sounds like that guy's in a car. That's because that guy's in a car, and that's how I do the show uh, during my morning drive. And uh, there is some background noise, but uh, we do what we can to get the information out around here, and that's what the show's really all about. Uh, I've realized that I've gotten out of the habit of telling you what day it is that the show's being recorded, what episode it is? Uh, today is Wednesday, February fourth, and I think it's episode 135 or 136. I'm not really sure. I guess that's what happens when you get out of the habit. So I'll try to get back into the habit of doing that and making it part of my show notes that I put together uh, usually the evening before or sometimes the morning of the show. And I usually have a little, you know, five by seven note card that I actually do the entire show from. So I'll try to get back into the habit of at least jotting down the uh, the episode number so i remember to do that and uh today's show if you've looked at the title of it should be real obvious it's going to be about fishing and uh, different aspects of fishing and we'll talk a little bit about lake fishing river fishing stream fishing and even shore fishing or uh, you know ocean fishing uh, surf fishing if you want to call it that and uh, just some different ideas for you Before I do that, though, again, I want to always go through some basic announcements. One, I want to remind you again, uh, you can download a free audio preview of a project that I'm working on with David Crawford, known as Half Fast Online, of his novel Lights Out by Half Fast. I'll continue. to put a link in the show notes uh, for a while to that. Uh, We've had a lot of people. I think we're over 300 people have downloaded the preview now. Uh, So uh, please do, and uh, there are a couple questions. Uh, Please answer them. When you uh, fill out the form and request, please answer both questions. It will help us figure out exactly how to produce this thing. Uh, I've been getting some suggestions from people that maybe we bring in a whole staff of actors and we have you know, females and males and different voices and, and all kinds of stuff like that to do uh, production of this thing. And uh, if that's your suggestion, don't think it's a bad suggestion. It's just we're not going to do it. And the reason we're not going to do it is David and I have talked about this and we want to get this thing out and available to people uh, by this summer. And it is going to be a real challenge to do that, honestly. Um, This is about 28 hours, 26 to 28 hours of finished audio, which means it's a lot more audio when it comes down to how much I have to record, how many things I have to edit out, and and things like that. I would guess, even with just me reading it, it's going to take me about 10 hours of editing per hour of finished audio. So you're looking at about 300 hours in total here, or more. Uh, that's just me. And that's I can do it whenever I want to, and I don't have to set up appointments, and I don't have to have people read for parts and decide that this person's not good enough and that this person really would be better off with somebody else, and this person can do two parts and you missed your line, and all these other things that go with that, and marking it up like a script so that people know when to talk. It's just too much work to do that way and then turn around with a product that we can sell as an mp3 download for 15 to 20 bucks which is what it's looking like the price is probably going to be Um, If we did that, it would take us two or three years to break even on the project because we're going to have to rent sound studios and all other kinds of things. So we're just not going to do that. So I wanted to throw that out there for you because I know a lot of people are suggesting stuff like that, and it's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't think you have a good idea. It's just it's not practical for us to do with the resources and time that we have right now. Alright, moving on from there I want you to remind you again that Region 3 is having a big shindig get together out in Birmingham, Alabama. I will be there. I'm guessing right now the attendance looks well over 100 uh, of the audience members and community members will be there. This should be a lot of fun. Please go by the forum, look on the Region 3 board and you can get a lot of details about it. My boys here in Region 5 are starting to make headway and putting together their own plan for a get together. Um, So if you're in Region 5 or if you're close to Region 5, uh, check out the Region 5 board. Let me put it to you this way. If you're in Washington State uh, or Canada or Mexico for that matter and you don't mind traveling to somewhere like Texas or Alabama, uh, you are welcome. None of these are exclusively for the regions. They're just being done within the regions and will probably mostly be people from the region just because of travel time. Uh, I floated an idea for our get-together here in Texas of doing it on the shore down to like Bryan Beach or Mata Gorda Bay. Uh, or Freeport or somewhere like that and do some surf fishing. Uh, That idea went down in flames because the people that are actually willing to do the work don't want to go fish in the dirty water. And I have to ask if you've ever stood in the Gulf of Mexico on a calm day at high tide up to your neck and looked down and saw your feet, but I'll let that go. And we won't take away anybody's man card, but there's somebody out there whose man card should be pulled just for the comment about the dirty water, but I won't say his name. He's been called out enough lately. Um but here's my thought I'm wondering if once this weather warms up a little bit and we can figure out maybe two weeks out where we're going to have a good, calm weekend with the right tidal system, if there would be interest in just having a surf fishing get-together. Uh, we'll still do the Region 5 wherever the folks decide they want to do it. I'll be there. I'll support it. But this would just be a bunch of people getting together and fishing, You know, maybe showing up in a, on a Friday evening, camping overnight, fishing all day Saturday, and maybe going home Saturday night, something like that. Uh, that could be kind of fun and kind of cool, and we could just uh, wet some lines in i know david crawford i've talked to him about that he's a big surf fisherman he's in so it'll be at least two of us so we'll probably just set it up let you know when it's going to be and where to find us and uh and hopefully we can get some folks together on the beach and do some fishing which moves us into today's topic of fishing all right so let's transition right into that and go on the meat of today's show and as I start off, I guess it's important to clarify something. Somebody uh, just did, I think, our first or second post in the forum in our hunting and fishing and outdoors board and, and basically said, don't rely on hunting if the shit hits the fan. That if the shit hits the fan, that the uh, the available game is going to go down fast how much is actually available. And, uh, you know, if you try to rely on that as a primary source of meat, you're going to be in deep crap, and you should make sure you're storing food and all the other good stuff we talk about here. And I agree, and I, I think that the response box and large by the forum members that posted that board was yeah we know that and uh, hunting is a good supplement and right now, if, uh, if you live in a rural area where you can hunt, hunt land that doesn't cost you money to hunt, it's a great way to put extra meat in the freezer, uh, including things like some people actually can shoot deer or squirrels or rabbits or doves or what have you uh, in season and legally in their backyards. And it makes a lot of sense that way. And if you augment it with things like gardening, it becomes part of a holistic system. That's the aspect that I'm coming at fishing with today. If we ever get to a point where people are really starving, it won't take people long to figure out how to rip a couple batteries out of some uh, stranded vehicles and hook some uh, cables and paddles up to them and start shocking fish. Uh, which is highly illegal, but in that scenario, I don't think people are going to be worried about it. And you'll see our lakes and streams and reservoirs fish down very, very quickly. People won't be worried about size or limits or anything. They'll just be worried about feeding themselves. So we're not talking about fishing today from a standpoint of survival after a crash. We're talking about it as part of a modern survival philosophy and making it part of your homesteading efforts and your modern survival efforts if nothing goes wrong or if things don't go that wrong, if we're just having a bad economy, and things like that and and you want to be able to cut the grocery bill a little bit with your fishing hence i'm not going to talk about things today like getting a thirty thousand dollar Skeeter bass boat now if you have one i'm glad you have one i hope you enjoy it but you know as well as i do that that $30,000 Thirty thousand dollars is not going to probably be paid back ever in the lifetime of that boat, in the value of fish fillets you put in your freezer. Uh, we're just getting way too uh, high dollar there. I'm not going to talk about things like tournament fishing for bass and, uh, you know, fishing for trophies and things like that. I'm going to talk about putting meat on the table and meat in the freezer and maybe meat in the smokehouse and some different varieties of fish that are you'll probably have some of them available in your area. Depending on where you live And somewhere reasonably close You can go fish without paying some exorbitant fee To do so To catch these fish All right. So let's start out with uh, My favorite type of fishing I would prefer to fish In rivers more than anything else in the world, especially smaller rivers that almost are small enough to call a stream, uh, something that you could maybe walk across in certain areas. I have found that, uh, I guess it's just because I grew up doing that, and if you have such a river or a stream near you, you're lucky, and please try to figure out where you can find public access to it and avail yourself of learning to fish there. Uh, Some of the advantages in most of these situations, you do not need a boat. In fact, in some of these places, a boat is a detriment, not an advantage, because there's too many shallow spots where a boat can't get through if you're talking about smaller bodies of water. But the the huge advantage to streams and stream fishing and, and small river fishing is that it doesn't take very long for you to start developing an eye. To figure out what holds fish And I mean this could be anything from trout And you know you're looking for little backwaters And eddies and you know you'll, you'll see What looks like a lot of just fast water And you'll see one little rock With a little still spot behind it And you'll realize hey man that's a good holding spot uh, Or if you're fishing for catfish Finding large holes and uh, larger eddies And back flows and things like that And, and it's, you know it's not something I can really give a dissertation on In an audio podcast what to look for All I'm telling you is that if you start fishing Fishing in lakes and streams, I mean streams and rivers, you'll start to know it when you see it. You'll start to go out and you'll look at water and you'll just know that's a good place. And a lot of them, when they get low in the summertime, you'll have a few deep holes and almost all the fish that are available in a certain stretch of water end up in one of those holes. So it's a highly concentrated method of fishing. Because they're smaller bodies of water, you can wade fish. You don't need a boat. It's, uh, easy, to, it's easy to get to different parts of it. And uh, I've spent days on the Brazos, for instance, where we've walked a mile up river. In time using waders or in the summertime just using uh, a pair of cutoff shorts and uh, a pair of shoes uh, and going ahead and just walking in the water. So that's one form of fishing to really look for. Lake fishing is probably what's available to most people, and and I'm going to break lake fishing out from pond fishing and talk about those a little bit differently. The the deal with fishing lakes, and when I'm talking lakes, I'm talking things that are, you know, 10 acres to 50,000 acres, the the bigger uh, bodies of water is if you haven't fished there before and you don't have kind of a mentor finding fish can be difficult. Now you might just pull up to a place, find a nice shady spot on the shoreline, start casting out and using whatever, you know, fishing for whatever species is uh, available at the time and you might get lucky. But if you're really going to fish a lake effectively, you know, most of the year or year round even, you're going to have to learn the lake, its structures, its patterns and things like that. And you're probably best suited if there's any guides available on the lake to fish for the types of species you're interested in, hiring a guide a time or two and uh, there's some etiquette stuff to hiring fishing guides and then not like fishing in their back pocket the next time you see them on the lake, Uh, but if you are really interested in learning a lake and you're going to be fishing it on your own, tell the guy when you hire him, you know, throw him a couple extra bucks and uh, you know give him the respect when you see him out on the water if he's taught you five or six places to fish and you see him with a client somewhere try one of the other places first Um, And then I know some fishing guides firsthand, one very well and a couple fairly well. And I can tell you one of the things that really annoys them is when they have a customer uh, that they've taken out a few times and they're sitting out on a structure somewhere fishing in a boat and that guide comes up to check that structure and they're sitting there with clients and and you start, hey man, there's lots of them hitting right now. Uh, Let the guide lead that conversation. It'll generally go better for you that way and you'll maintain that relationship. So that's my little uh, public service announcement on fishing guides. But on lakes, it's probably... Your best bet and hire several different guys that fish for different species. Learn the lake well. When you start lake fishing, it really makes sense to invest 100 bucks or so in a decent, at least a handheld GPS. Uh, when you start finding places that are holding fish, be it crappie or white bass or catfish or largemouth bass or bluegill or whatever you're fishing for, uh, being able to mark those coordinates and put them down in a notebook and say that at this time, with this water temperature, during this time of year, at this time of day, uh, I got into this type of fish, odds are that the next time those scenarios Areas line up, that spot is going to be producing again. And uh, so it's it's really important to uh, again start to be able to mark the locations that you're going to fish. And then the biggest thing I can advise you of is that notebook, and that applies to shore fishing, river fish, I don't care what it is. Uh, whenever you go out and put line in the water, you should be making a little note of all the stats that you can get: the water temperature, the air temperature, how heavy the wind was. You can get most of that information on the internet after the you know after the day is done by pulling up a weather report uh, the time of day when the fish were hitting, when they stopped, what they were hitting on, and anything in particular you observed, like bird activity, uh, things like that. And you don't have to get into real high-tech gadgetry and high-end boats to start becoming a very effective fisherman. My grandfather fished the Susquehanna River and a, a lake called Swatara Lake, and he fished those two bodies of water almost exclusively, and he fed his family right through the Great Depression uh, with you know a few spinning rods and an old rowboat and you know if that can be done in in the 30s then then this type of thing can be done uh today in you know 2009 with the same limited technology and the same limited expenses if you choose to make it that way uh moving on from lakes i'd say you know kind of your next aspect is looking at fishing uh ponds and if you can find private ponds or public ponds that are available some of the best fishing in the world is in ponds and some of the worst fishing in the world's in ponds when I say pond, I'm talking five acres or less. And really, for me, a pond is you know two to three acres or less. And a lot of them are like an acre, an acre and a half, half an acre of water. And uh, the problem is a lot of them are overpopulated with sunfish. If you find one that's been well-managed or harvested properly, a lot of times they're great for fishing for bluegill sunfish uh, or other forms of sunfish. And those folks are one of the best-eaten fish you can find in the water. Uh, if you can find a place where you can you know legitimately harvest a good quantity of bluegill, that are the size of a grown man's hand uh, that is a great little honey hole and please uh, you know please make yourself, you know, use it to your full advantage and be responsible with your harvest. Though. Don't over-harvest uh, adult fish. And try to learn how to harvest multiple species. If you find yourself in a situation where you're harvesting some bluegill, some white bass, some channel catfish, and some crappie, for instance, you're going to be in a situation where you're making less of an impact on the population because you're spreading your harvest across multiple species. Uh, you're not trying to limit out on every species every day. You know, one time you're bringing bringing home a half dozen catfish and a couple crappie. The next time you're bringing home 15 white bass and maybe a few dozen bluegill. Uh, so try to spread that out. Learn the different species. Uh, learn what's available in your area. Look for people that you can connect with in your local area to go fishing with that already have learned the area, learned the secrets, and form relationships around that. Uh, I've never met a man that fishes regularly that I couldn't become friends with, honestly. Uh, it's something that about the sport that if you're into it, and I mean, I don't know, some of the guys, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way if you're a bass but some of the Basser guys that are like into these tournaments they fish the tournaments every week and it's all about winning and they have you know even some of the guys that are moderately successful with some sponsorship and they have these beautiful boats and it's its like you hit the water and you have a time limit and they, they take the, the fun out of it to me and if you like that that's okay but I don't know that I'd get along with those guys because I don't want to fish that way but just about any other type of fishing from a guy that sits on a shoreline and uses an ultralight to catch big carp because it's fun uh, to a guy that run around in a boat and fill it up with white bass for a fish fry I've got along with them so look for online forums and message boards that are local to your area where people discuss fishing. If you're from Texas, the Texas Fishing Forum, I've met a lot of great folks on there. I've met people and gone down and surf-fished with them. Uh, I met my buddy Hal Dodd, who's a fishing guy out on Joe Pool, that taught me that lake there. Uh, I've met a gentleman named Omar Cotter. I've been out shriper fishing with him. Uh, I've met a guy down in Austin that I've gone out with on the Brazos River. I mean, it's just a great way to connect. Them. These are people I would have never met without the Internet, so look for that type of thing as well. I guess the next step from there is going into uh, river fishing of large rivers, you know, things that you would need a boat on, or even if you wade fish, you're kind of limited, bigger wider rivers, both fresh water and uh, brackish water rivers, rivers that are close to the ocean. Uh, those are things that, uh, you know, you may want to hire a guide. There's a lot of times there's piers. There's a lot of ways to fish water like that, and that's one of those things you just want to get out there and do. Uh, so I can only say so much about that on, a, again, an audio podcast, but uh, that's something to really look for. I grew up as a kid before we moved to Pennsylvania in Jacksonville, Florida. We used to fish a piece of the St. John's River, and this was a place where the river is very, very large. Uh, if you're from Florida, you know there's there's two St. John's, really. There's the St. John's River uh, down south uh, near the source where it's it's a beautiful swampy river full of bass and catfish and things like that, and then there's the river up near Jacksonville, where it hits the ocean and the water's brackish and you have runs of croaker and bluefish and uh, it's it's really a, a different world altogether. And that different part up there is where I fished it and uh, my my grandfather was a retired military officer who became chief of security for Jacksonville University. Uh, so we could go in there and fish the uh, boat docks at Jacksonville University and I fished there all through my childhood and we just basically go out to the pier and fish with live bait and cut bait and uh, we caught just about anything you could imagine you'd find in that river, uh, from big old useless stingrays to uh, to bluefish and croaker and, uh, you know, uh, gaff topsail catfish and hardhead catfish and uh, uh, just, I mean, uh, quite honestly, just about anything you can think of in North Florida that would go up a river channel, uh, sea trout, you name it. Uh, but moving on from there, then there's my favorite type of fishing in the world to do, and this is what I started talking about at the beginning, and that's surf fishing. And, um... Uh It's about a good five-hour drive for me to the nearest decent surf fishing. But I absolutely love setting up on the beach with a grill and maybe a canopy for some shade and a good cooler full of food, a few beers, and spending a day on the ocean. And just going in the water up, you know, usually we go out to the second sandbar. You end up up to your neck, and next thing you know, you're standing in water that's up to your knees. And fishing that gut, and when you fish saltwater, surf fishing, the space, the deep spots between sandbars, they call it gut. I'm fishing that second gut, and uh, down here in Texas in the summertime, I'll throw out larger live bait with a rod holder, which is basically a big piece of PVC pipe and a good surf rod, and set that next to me, and then I'll take a smaller light action rod and fish with just cut shrimp and cut bait and uh, catch tons of whiting. And whiting are just a you know they're a fish that a lot of people kind of poo-poo because there's so many of them. The flesh is very delicate. It's very easy to overcook whiting. I mean, think very, very delicate form of crappie. If you if you're familiar with that, you have to cook crappie at a lower temperature uh, for less time than other fish. That's whiting. But there are certain ways to prepare whiting where you get around that. One is smoking them. If you've never had smoked whiting, you really it's really something you got to try. Another is simply filleting them up and using lime juice to cook them and making a ceviche with whiting. Uh, it's, adding a few shrimp and some scallops is a great li- you know, some cilantro and some tomatoes. It is an amazing little thing you can do with them. And since there's so many of them, you can take basically as many as you want home. I don't think there's even a limit on whiting in Texas. I've never taken more than a dozen or so at a time, so I'm not sure. But I think you can pretty much catch as many of them as you want. I think they're even legal to uh, catch with uh, with cast nets. And uh, so they're a, they're a great source of food and there's something that's not over-harvested because most people don't really see uh, the food value in them. And then with surf fishing, you you get to a point where you really don't know what you're going to catch. And some of the different fish I've caught down uh, in the Freeport area include small black-tip sharks. Uh, We've caught redfish offshore there, or not offshore, from from the surf there. Uh, We've caught spinner sharks. We've caught tons of sea trout. And uh, sand trout, which are two different types of uh, of ocean uh, ocean going trout, uh, we I, we've caught flounder, uh, we've caught sheep's head, and, and this is just fishing from the beach. And I mean, there's people swimming around us, and we're out a little bit further than they are fishing, and we're pulling fish out like that, including the sharks. And sometimes it's funny when you pull a, uh, you know, one time we caught a shark, about three foot black tip shark, uh, no real threat to humans at all, especially at that size. Uh, Uh, But we kind of cleared the beach out for a couple hundred yards in both directions uh, when, much to their dismay, we let it go. So, you know, kind of look around and just see what's available to you and what type of fishing you want to do what types of water that are maybe available. Uh, I spend every summer, we usually go to Florida for a couple weeks and I fish the Gulf Coast surf fishing. It's a different world than Texas. Uh, I catch a pompano, permits, uh, again, sea trout, uh, lots of sea trout there, uh, schnook, uh, small tarp and ladyfish, uh, tons of hardhead catfish in that surf out there off the Gulf Coast of uh, Fort Myers area, Cinnabelle Island, Florida. And, and and this this just the, the, the amazing variety of fishing that available to us in the United States and and just realize how lucky you are with that where we have people over in Europe that that basically fish for carp and that's what's available to them and we have all these different species and all this different type of water and almost every body of water is actually open to fishing one way or another Uh, let me move from those those different aspects and again today's show is not to make you an expert fisherman it's just to get you to assess what's around you and what's most available to you and what type of fishing that, that you can do, but some of the basic... equipment that I think are mandatory uh, for fishing uh, depending on where you're going to fish and what you're going to do. One, like I've said already, a GPS I think is a huge advantage. I think even if you're a river and or a surf fisherman you do everything on foot, a GPS is highly valuable uh, because you will not remember all the places that you found. And being able to set waypoints and make notes and, and, and have a good log of where, when, how, and what uh, you observed. Including things like, I couldn't catch any fish at this hole on this stream, but boy, the mayflies were going crazy, and if I had mayflies uh, tied, I would have been able to catch a lot of trout and then you'll know that that's a good time of year to watch for a, a mayfly hatch. So even days when you don't have success, you might observe things to give you success next time. So a logbook and a GPS, I think, go without saying. Obviously, you need fishing rods uh, and reels. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of open-face spinning reels, and I think that for most people it's the easiest thing to learn how to use that's actually useful. I do not like closed-face spinners. Push-button, Zepco type, uh, Zepco 202 I think was the big uh, popular reel for for a time. They're okay, they're very easy to learn with, they're good for kids because you get less problems with them. Uh but I'd say even if you're a new fisherman you know at least learn how to fish with an open face spinning reel. Bay cast reels uh are the ones that kind of look like horizontal. When you push the button, uh, the line will just start flailing out unless you put your thumb on it and control it. They take more time and more effort to learn how to fish, but for certain types of fishing, they're a much better option. So it's kind of like your next step, once you become proficient with an open face spinning reel, learn how to fish with a bait cast reel. Once you've done that, you'll be able to do just about anything. Fly fishing, that's kind of its own little unique thing. It's a wonderful sport. It's something I do on rare occasions. Uh not the best place in the world for fly fishing here at dfw but uh it's cool but again it's something i can't really cover today because it's something that has its own it's its own world uh but if you know learning to use a fly rod is really not that hard learning to do good presentation and be an effective fly fisherman is an art form that you can spend a lifetime learning so you know that's kind of the best way i can tell you to think about it um so let's uh, let 's get back on to just basic equipment then I am a, a big believer in eBay for finding low cost equipment when I was a kid in Pennsylvania the most prestigious fishing reel you could own was called a Mitchell 300. And I just picked up a few of these on eBay, and when Hal Dodd sees me on Joe Pool with them, he's probably going to make fun of them, unless he listens to today's show and realizes what they are. Because they look very, very ancient, and they were made in the 60s. But... There was an air of, you know, respect for that reel among my family where you never said anything bad about one. They were one of the very first real spinning reels available. They're made in France and they are absolutely a reel that will last a lifetime. Uh, I was kind of lamenting the fact that all of my family's gear was taken away by uncles and and, and and whatnot after my grandfather died and that I didn't have any of these and I thought I wonder if any are available on eBay. So I just purchased uh, for under twenty a piece, four Mitchell 300s and a Mitchell 400 uh, on eBay. For 20 bucks a piece, that includes shipping. And that was from three different people that I bought all of those reels. So that's a lot of shipping. If I could have found you know one guy that had that many, I could have done even better. Uh, so if you know of a particular, let's say uh, antique variety of rod or reel uh, that you're interested in, check out eBay. A lot of new equipment's on there as well. It's a good place to find your reels. Rods are something that unless I know the exact model of the rod. I'm a little bit more particular. I like to hold a rod before I buy it. That said, uh, I have a got a set of rods um that i use for like surf fishing because it's you know the salt water's tough on it and i call them disposable fishing rods uh, i think they sell for between seven and nine dollars at academy they're red so if you have an academy sports and door outdoors around you i don't even remember what they're called but you'll know it when you see it it's a bright red rod uh black foam handle i think i bought them for seven bucks a piece and uh You know, I figured they were something I would throw away when they wore out. Well, I've had them like five years now. And uh, occasionally I have to clean up the uh, foam because foam gets kind of stinky from fish slime more so than core candles do. Uh, But they've been decent rods for seven bucks. Uh, So you can spend as much or as little as you want on fishing gear. My advice to you is if you're going to put good money into something, put it into the reels. Rods... You know, rods break. They have tips broken off them. Uh, good sensitivity is nice in a fishing rod, but you're only going to be able to get so much out of a rod sensitivity. Uh, you want a good, you know, the right, you know, light. There's light actions, medium actions, heavy actions, and you have to assess what you're fishing for. Obviously, you don't want to be sitting out with a medium-heavy action, large spinning reel, catching, you know, half-pound uh, panfish. Doesn't make sense. Not good sensitivity. It's not the right equipment for the job, so you have to scale that. That's something If you're not familiar at all, you might want to kind of just go out and watch people fish and look at the gear they're using for what they're catching. Look what successful people are using. You'll start to realize kind of the scale to go with there. Um, But put your money into the reel. Uh, a rod is a stick with some eyes on it. A reel, I've bought cheap reels, and what happens is most of the spinning reels have, you know, they have a lock where they'll, they only reel in, and they won't kind of back reel out, and you you, know, you need that lock. Uh, that lock's important, and a lot of the cheaper reels, $20 or so, uh, a little bit of time, that lock just gives out and it doesn't work. And I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't know why they can't build a cheap reel where that lock is reliable, but I've found that they're not. And certainly you take them out with one surf fishing trip and that salt water, And is going to get inside your reel. You're not going to keep it clean uh, completely of salt water, and, and bam, that back lock and then you've got a junk reel for all intents and purposes. So you can take it apart and you can try to fix it. And I've never found it to be worthwhile. So if you're wondering where to put your money in a rod and reel setup, put it in the reel and uh, the rod can wait even if you have a cheap rod with a good reel uh, you'll probably do just fine and then start looking at tailoring your fishing to meet your surroundings and what's available to you in the times that you have available to fish. Start being creative. What can you do to improve your odds? Uh, One of the things I've done extensively out at Joe Pool, and before I did this, I could never find uh, catfish out there of any size or quantity, is chumming for catfish. Now, it might not be legal in your state. Completely legal in Texas to chum. So you have to check your local laws to find out if it's legal, but I chum with something called range cubes, and And uh, they're available at any feed store. Ask for 20% range cubes if you go to your feed store. They'll know exactly what you want. They're basically cottonseed cakes. And I'll throw a few handfuls in a couple different holes. I'll go off and maybe fish for white bass or sunfish or something like that for about 45 minutes to an hour. I'll come back and throw some more, and then I'll just start trying the holes using uh, what's called a punch bait, which is kind of a stink bait that you just push a uh, treble hook into and pull it out, uh, or using like cut shad or something like that. I usually do very well, at least throughout the summertime, until it gets too hot uh, on a Joe Pool now for catfish. It's all because of chumming. Uh, Another thing that's getting to be really popular, is putting your own structure out. A lot of people are building trees with PVC pipe, weighting them down with like a concrete bucket and dropping them somewhere. Now, if you want to see, uh, you know, a plethora of this, just go on Google, search for PVC fish structure, and you'll find forums and all kinds of contraptions that people have built. This, again, may or may not be legal in your area. I leave it up to you to find out what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Now, PVC, why are people using this for structure? Well, with the right size pipes, you're talking the smaller pipes, you're building trees, and you don't build boxes. You build kind of open-ended structures. They don't snag. So you can build these trees and go out and jig for crappie or fish for bass around them with crank banks or whatever. And uh, if the hooks hit this PVC, it kind of glances off of it. So you don't snag. So you get a fish structure where you don't snag. The other thing is it's very, very difficult to see these structures on a depth finder. Alright, a sonar. Because of that, if you go out and plant them somewhere, you mark it with your GPS, you can find it anytime you want to to fish it, but it's not likely that other people are going to find it. A lot of professional crappie guides will set up a whole forest of these things on their lakes that they fish, and uh, they guard where they're located very, very secretly, because uh, they know there's always a good place to go and take their clients. So those are some other things you can look at doing. A uh, little quick word here on uh, boats and depth finders that I'm going to wrap up with today, because again, this is a subject I could go on for days about. Um, You're going to find if you fish rivers of any size or lakes of any size or even fairly large ponds, you're going to be much better off with a boat than without a boat. Simply because, especially in the summer when fishing tends to get really good in a lot of areas, the shorelines get choked with weeds. And simply being able to get out past those weeds and fish the weed lines from the other side alone is worth having a boat for. And if you don't have a lot of money, you don't want to invest a lot of money in a boat, you can usually find good john boats, 12 to 16 foot flat bottoms, get a battery and a trolling motor. And you have a huge advantage over the shore fishermen. Next step up is put a little outboard on it. I have a five horsepower Briggs and Stratton uh, outboard that brand new sells for like about seven hundred fifty bucks. Back when I bought it, they were six hundred. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. It's not fast. It's very slow on my fourteen foot boat, uh, but I can you know spend a month before I have to refill a tank that's, that's only holding about five gallons of fuel. Uh, So that's something that you may want to look at. Up from there, I'd say like the most efficient boat for the runaround fisherman, is if you can find an older center console with like a 50 horsepower motor on it, that's a great one. Or the 16 foot aluminum, 17 foot aluminum bass boat range with the smaller motors, the 25 to 50 horsepower motors on them. Now, if you want to do a lot of traveling around, a bigger motor is going to get you there faster. But I'm talking about efficiency financially here. And uh, running a boat with a 25 horsepower motor on it is dirt cheap, even when gas goes to four or five bucks. Running a 200-horsepower bass boat where you do a lot of running around like a lot of the tournament fishers do, you're never going to make your money back fishing. Right. So if we're talking about here today, not trying to win tournaments, we're talking about putting meat in the freezer in a way that's more economical than going to Kroger and buying it, that's not where you want to go. But those those two things, if you can find either one of those for a good price, they're a great way to look at you know kind of going out and fishing. Now, they might not be the best boats for skiing, obviously, or You know, fun in the sun, cruising boats, or putting 10 people on, you can't do that. Uh, But if it's you and a buddy fishing or you and a wife uh, fishing, something like that, I mean, they're probably the best way to go for an entry-level cost. Uh, I have a video of my John boat that I've modified with decks and storage and all. I'll post a link to it for those who haven't seen it yet. And uh, it gives you some creative ideas of what you can do very inexpensively. I bought the boat for $300. I bought the motor for $700. And the total cost that I have into the stuff on it is about $400. Uh, So you're looking at maybe a $1,400 project there. And uh, if you watch the video, I think you'll be impressed with what a $1,400 boat can look like. Uh, the, The next thing I want to point out that you really, I think today, if you're going to fish any large body of water with a boat, that you really need is a depth finder. Now, you don't need a really expensive high end depth finder. The more you pay for, it, the more you get generally with depth finders. High resolution, color, uh, they have GPS combos and things like that. But a basic depth finder is uh, invaluable simply because it tells you the depth and what the bottom looks like, and a lot of times what the structure of the bottom is, whether it's soft or hard. Even if you don't actually can't Find schools of fish sometimes, or sea fish marked on uh, your depth finder. Just the knowledge of the bottom and the structure is enough to put you in the right place. And this is something you really, again, I think hiring a guide and, and saying, teach me how to read a depth finder. You know, pay your guide some extra money. Stay out an extra hour. Give them some extra money. Make it worth this time. And most guides are not jerks and they'll be happy to teach you things like that. So, you know, because like we, we fish for sand bass, we're looking for our humps. We're looking for 60 feet of water in a hump that comes up to where it's only 30 feet of water. And then it drops back down to 60 feet on the other side. And if it's hard bottom hump like that, we're just about guaranteed we're going to find sand bass on it in certain types of the year. Uh, when it comes to jigging for crappie, we're looking for brush piles. You can see brush piles uh, you know, in more shallow bodies areas of water uh, with that. So a depth finder is probably a really good investment, uh, even if it's kind of a lower end one. Again, just to know structures and be able to find structures. And you're going to find a lot of times, when you find a good Structure to fish in, in in a lake, and you mark it with a GPS. It's going to be using the GPS coordinates. And your bottom finder together, they're going to make you able to get right back in the same place and to start hitting those fish up again. Uh, And then I want to close one more time with a reiteration that the best thing you can do for yourself is to have a notebook, different than your spending journal that hopefully you're keeping as well, that's your fishing journal. And write down every time you go out, successes, failures, conditions, temperatures, baits. If you talk to other people that were successful when you were not and they tell you, Well, I went here, and we were using live bait, and write down what other people were successful with during that time and what they were catching. And finally, there's a lot of people that like to travel around. I like to go to 20 different lakes a year. That's fine. It's entertainment. If you want to become proficient, pick one or two bodies of water close to home that you can fish often. Become experts on them. That's how my grandfather uh, really put a lot of uh, fish on the table, because he fished two places. He fished the Susquehanna River, but he fished a very specific spot on the Susquehanna River. He fished a lake where he fished two or three spots on that lake. He knew them cold. He knew when to go, when not to go. He knew what to do. He learned them. He became an expert on a certain uh, variety of species of fish in certain areas of the lake, and that made him very successful whenever he went out. That's why people always wanted to go with him. You know, Biff, when are we going fishing? right? He'd say after the frost or what have you, depending on what time of year it was. And and uh, so so that's, you know, kind of some big advice that I have for you. Again, connecting with people in your community will shortcut a lot of these things. Uh, get on the forums. Get active. Find the forums in your area. If you're in Texas, again, I cannot recommend Texas Fishing Forum enough. That's a great resource. So, you know, get out there and give things a shot. Give it a try. And, uh, you know, even though we're going to do a Region 5 somewhere other than the beach, when uh, David and I figure out when a good time to go surf fishing is, we'll announce that and come down and join us on the beach. And uh, we'll cook some fish on the beach, and we'll cook some, uh, maybe some smoked sausage on the beach, and maybe a little deer meat, and hang out and uh, enjoy fishing. And uh, that's my uh, you know, kind of advice for you today is figure out how to enjoy fishing in a way that actually makes it profitable from a procurement of, uh, of meat standpoint for you, and that will help you uh, do a lot more economically to stabilize your homestead. Uh, this is been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.